you'll open your Bibles with me, today we're going to be looking at Second or Second Corinthians, Ephesians two, verses eleven through eighteen. Ephesians two, eleven through eighteen. If you'll please stand. Starting in verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he has put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. For through him we have access to both the Father, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. May God bless this reading of his word. Please have a seat. It's always strange to think of that kids today are growing up in a bit of a different world than we might have grown up with. And one thing that crossed my mind this past week is that our children will not know the Berlin Wall. They'll have never known a world where there is this giant physical wall separating a city, separating families, separating friends. And it was a giant wall, 12 feet high, 27 miles long. It had something like uh, 55,000 landmines. And you just couldn't cross. It was dividing the communist side from the western side for over, for almost 30 years. A whole generation where there was a city divided, a people divided. But on November 9th, 1989, there was a misunderstood press conference by an East German official. And his kind of garbled language led people to believe that the gates were suddenly open. And so crowds came down to all the checkpoints and confused guards, they didn't know what to do with so many people. So they simply stood back and they let them through. And virtually overnight, the Berlin Wall fell. It was a great thing to see on the news. It's one of those, you know, we see so much bad news on the news stations, just seeing something triumphant like that, a great barrier coming down. And I, I, had, I used to have a piece of the Berlin Wall. I'm sure some of you might have that as well. Sometimes the barriers that divide us are not so easily seen, but they are just as strong and just as present as the Berlin Wall was. Right now we're living through a year of keenly felt political, class, and racial divisions. We feel these barriers around us and dividing us all over the place. We're struggling through a year where we have physical barriers, where we're struggling with wearing masks everywhere, where we're encountering people through computer screens or through windows that are dividing us from those we love. 
And we're struggling, of course, as always, through a year where sin separates us from our God. So who can tear these great walls down? Who can take all the great barriers in our life that divide us, separate us, separate us from God, and take them down? It's here in Ephesians 2 that Paul addresses that. He says there's only one who is well-suited for this task, who can accomplish this mission of tearing this wall down, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, whenever my family gets together, we do as most families do, we swap stories about each other, usually beginning with a phrase, remember when. Do you do, you do this when you get together with a bunch? Remember when so-and-so did that thing? I always hate this, because anytime we get together and they say, remember when Justin, I always know it's not going to be a great thing. It's going to be something highly embarrassing. So remember when Justin was six years old, and he decided before church service to hide himself so that the service got called off and everybody had to start scouring the neighborhood because they thought some little six-year-old kid was wandering out there, whereas Justin was just hiding behind a chalkboard in a classroom in the church. Remember how Justin got grounded for like a year after that? Remember that? Good times. They don't let me forget these things. We don't like our shameful and embarrassing past brought up to us. I don't think any one of us truly enjoys that. But that's exactly what Paul starts out here in verse 11 doing. He prods his readers to remember their past and not the good part of their past. He says, remember when you used to be spiritually dead and alienated from God? Remember that? Remember when you had no hope of a Messiah because you were a Gentile? Remember when you weren't part of God's people? Remember when you had no covenants and no promises to hold on to from God? Remember when you didn't even know who the one true God was? Remember when you were utterly lost? Thanks, Paul. Yeah, I remember that. It's embarrassing to recall. It's shameful. The Ephesians, when they're reading this letter out loud to their congregation, probably didn't want Paul to remind them of their past like this, how they used to be at a great disadvantage to getting to know God. They didn't want to be reminded of that. We don't want to be reminded of our own past. We don't want somebody to point back and say, hey, remember when you used to be a horrible sinner? You didn't even know God. You used to curse his name. You used to say, I want to live my life the way I want to live my life. We don't want to be reminded of that. But Paul reminds us of our shame for a purpose. It's very important. Pastor Brian Chappell once was sharing a time when he was in junior high school, and he came home, and he found his little brother sobbing in the arms of his mom. And he got, finally he got the full story of what had happened. You see, his little brother was mentally handicapped. He was just starting to come to understand what that really meant and how that separated him from all these other kids. And about the time that his brother was realizing that, the other kids in school started calling him retard. And he finally put two and two together, and he came home just sobbing because he didn't know how to deal with that. They felt shame. He felt despised and rejected. He was just filled with that feeling. He just didn't know how to handle that. 
He felt hopeless. Paul wants us to remember a time where we were hopeless, where we felt like we were despised and rejected, just like that little boy. Because then we can understand the great relief and joy it is when Jesus Christ came to be despised and rejected in our place. When he took that from us and he became the one who people were calling names and people were spitting on and people were crucifying. It was this great barrier of shame for so many years that kept us away from our God, that kept us farther than an arm's reach. But that barrier was shattered on the cross. That's the moment when our tears were wiped away and we as God's people were able to stand up and praise Him and say, God, I remember how I used to be, but I praise You because now I'm in such a better place. We have to remember our sin. We have to remember that time where we were filled with shame. Not because we need to go on a guilt trip every week, we need to beat ourselves up. No, because it causes us to rejoice in the greatness of our salvation. And that's why Paul asks us to remember. Now, centuries ago, there were two Scottish sisters, very poor, and they, they weren't married, so they, just, they kept living together in a one-room house. And these two sisters one day got into a fight, as sisters do, but it was such a nasty fight, and they were such stubborn women that after the fight concluded, they decided they would just never speak to each other ever again. And in fact, that's exactly what happened. They even did that thing where they drew a line down in the middle of their one-room house, and one, one sister lived on one side, one sister lived on the other side, but for the rest of their life, they never spoke to each other. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine going to sleep at night, listening to the other person breathe, and knowing that the only other sound you hear is your enemy breathing in the same room you're going to sleep in? There are so many things that divide and separate people today. We have races and nationalities that despise each other for nothing as much as our lifestyles or the color of our skin. We might see that our neighbor has a different political sign in their yard right now than we do in ours. I always laugh when I walk down the street because we have one house that's two doors down, has a Trump sign and Trump flag, and then one door next to him is a Biden sign and a Biden flag. I always wonder what those neighbors kind of think of each other when they get up in the morning they look out, and I, I hope that they get along. I hope that they still are civil to each other. But we draw lines in our life. We do this almost naturally. Our, our civilization does it. Our culture does it. Where we always want to put ourselves on one side, and it is always the right side. And on the other side are the wrong people, the enemies, the hated ones. And we form all these divisions, all these barriers in our life. We have these dividing walls. And as bad as it is today, and it is bad, it was actually almost worse back in biblical times. The rift between the Jews and the Gentiles wasn't a good-natured sports rivalry like we might have between the Bills and the Patriots. Although some of you may say that's not a good-natured rivalry at all. That's a, that's a blood feud, Pastor Justin. Jews and Gentiles 
loathed each other, hated each other, despised each other. The Jews taught that Gentiles were dogs, and they were no good for anything more than to fuel the fires of hell. It's all a Gentile was ever good for. The Gentiles, especially the Romans, looked at Jews as uncivilized barbarians that were homicidal enemies of all civilization, and they should all be wiped out. In short, there was just no peace between either one of these groups. The absolute best you could ever hope for was kind of an uneasy, tension-filled coexistence. For example, if back then you went to the temple in Jerusalem and you saw how it was constructed, you would see that there was a special court that the Jews made just for the Gentiles. They were instructed in the Bible that they had to do this in the Old Testament. They had to build a part of the temple just for the Gentiles. But they did it reluctantly. And they made it so it was walled off from the rest of the, the temple. And they made those... By the way, this was the same court that Jesus went into to drive out the money changers and the animal sellers. Remember that the Jews said, well, that's, what, that's all that court's good for. Put all the commerce in there. But there was a sign on the wall that divided the Gentile court from the rest of the temple. And that sign said to the Gentiles... If you cross this barrier, we will kill you. Archaeologists have actually unearthed that sign, and it now exists in a museum today. We still have physical proof of this dividing wall, this physical dividing wall, not just a spiritual one, not just a religious one, but even a physical dividing barrier between Jew and Gentile. Just no hope to get these two together. As Paul goes into verse 14 here, he says that Jesus looked at these two divided groups that were as far apart on the spectrum, farther apart than any two groups you can look at today. And Jesus looked at those two groups and he got onto a metaphorical bulldozer and he plowed right through that dividing wall and he brought it down. He wanted to, remember, he wanted to join in unity these two divided segments of humanity into one. In fact, you can even hear Jesus talking about this back in Matthew 23, 37. He's walking on his way to Jerusalem, and he's lamenting out loud, and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. How I've longed to gather you together, together, my mom always talks about gathering her chicks together. Does anybody, do you use this language? My mom always says this. Anytime we ever have one of those rare Thanksgiving or rare Christmases or outings where the whole family manages to travel from wherever we are and get together, and she has a self-satisfied smile. She's like, all my chicks are together. She's just the mother hen, and she's got her, got her big, you know, getting them together. And Jesus he has that same longing here. As he looks, he's spent his whole life, he's spent 33 years watching Jews spit at Gentiles, spitting at Jews. He watched the hatred. He's, he's heard the words, far worse words than we've ever come up with. He's seen the hatred, and yet he desires to gather them all together to break down their dividing wall. And it was only through his death 
that he finally able to accomplish that. That he fashioned, he took these two separate humanities and he now forged them together into one. And he called that his church. That now, finally, no longer would there be Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, but the church, his children. Don't forget in Ephesians 1, in the secret plan of God, Paul is going to keep coming back to this, that his plan is to unify humanity under Jesus Christ. And that is his plan and his purpose. And we as his church are either working against God's purposes to unify people, or we are working for that. And that's important for us to realize Because there's a huge temptation as we're in the world right now to be just as divided as anybody else in the world today. And to look at other people as the others, as the hated ones, as the Gentiles, as the Jews. And we're the right ones. Instead, Paul is calling upon us to be, as Jesus wants us to be, casting our divisions aside, welcoming our brothers and sisters, whoever walks in that door and professes a faith in Jesus Christ, that we call them brother and we call them sister, and we mean it. Because they are. They're our brothers and sisters. Jesus wants our church to be this island of peace and reconciliation in our world today. For the world that's as divided as it is, shattered and factional, to look at the church and say, how come those guys get along? How come they get it? How come there's, there's such different people? Yet when they come together, they're working at a unified purpose. How are we doing that this week? How are we forgiving the people we need to forgive this week so that we can be unified? How are we accepting other people and listening to them and caring for them and breaking down these dividing walls. Now, believe it or not, we are two short months away from Christmas. I went to Lowe's the other day, and I saw, I saw something very interesting. I saw the Halloween decorations at Lowe right next to a Christmas Wonderland. I thought, man, those two, those two factions must hate each other. There's a, there's a dividing line. There's a barrier. But when Christmas arrives... We hear so many phrases over and over again, and we have them on decorations, and we hear these so often that they kind of lose their meaning to us. They lose the flavor. And I would say that one of the most ignored phrases that we use every Christmas is peace on earth. We see it everywhere. We hear it everywhere. We, We know it from the story of the angels singing it to the shepherds. We say it in church. But do we really understand what that means? I mean, because even a little kid will tell you today, looking at the world, we don't have peace here. We are not living in a world where peace has come down on earth, at least in the way that most people define it. Right now in 2020, there are 10 full-fledged wars going on around the world right now. There's a website that actually tracks these things. So 10 wars. We are not living in a peaceful world. There's persecution and violence. There's murder and rioting. There's abuse, human trafficking. Every horrible wickedness known to man still going on out there. Not a peaceful world. So for many, saying peace on earth at Christmas time is immediately canceled out the second you turn on the news or load up CNN.com. 
So what's important to understand is that political peace is not what the angels were singing about when they were singing to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2. It's something greater than that, and I want to actually read to you those two verses so that you get the full context, so that you're not just saying peace on earth without really understanding what's being sung here. Luke chapter 2. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom His favor rests. People had been waging a very real war against God ever since Genesis chapter 3. But now there's this amazing moment where an agent of peace enters into the world that can reconcile these two warring groups, these two opposed sides. And the peace here sang as a peace between God and those on whom His favor rests. That's not everybody. Those are the people He's singing of here are the saved, the elect, those who have been forgiven, and now His favor rests upon them. In Ephesians 2.16, Paul says that while Jesus was breaking down this dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, he was also breaking down this much greater barrier between us and God. He says that Jesus put to death our hostility. And that Jesus came down to preach peace rather than war to us. How terrible would it have been if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down He said, listen, you've been opposing God for so many years, and now God is declaring war on you. We wouldn't have stood a chance. Instead, he came down and he preached peace. When Jesus, in fact, was about to die in John 14, he tells his followers, my peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. And that peace is a tremendous peace indeed. As Paul goes on to say in verse 18, This peace gives us access, full access, to the full Trinity, to all three members of the triune God. Before that peace, we could not approach God. We could not talk to God. We could not do anything to escape the wrath of God. But after that peace, we are invited into the innermost chambers of the Most High. We're invited to climb up on His lap to talk to Him to present our requests to Him and experience His grace. Jesus broke down so many barriers for us. He broke down the barriers of our shame. He broke down the dividing wall between us and others. And He broke down the barrier between us and God. So if you're having difficulties in your life and you're looking at some barriers that are standing between you and particularly other people, Realize that you have a full access pass to the Trinity. And take advantage of that. Go to God and say, Lord, Father, Son, Spirit, I want to have fellowship with you today. I want to experience what it is to be in harmony with you so that I can be in harmony with others. I want to experience your forgiveness so that I can forgive others. I want to be one with you so that it can be one with the church. We need to be asking the Trinity this week for strength to be a peacemaker. And as Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, the barrier breakers. 
for they will be called the sons of God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to be barrier breakers. We want to be peacemakers. It's easy to hate people. It's easy to be at war with them, to hurt them, with our words, with our violence. But Lord, sometimes it is so hard to be at peace. But we know that is a vision of heaven. That heaven is a, Lord, when we go there, we will experience nothing but peace. We'll experience nothing but unity. Help us to start that here. Help us as Knox Church to be people who are at peace with one another, who go out into our friendship circles and our family circles, out into the community, into our work, and bring a piece, a, a part of that peace with us so that people may look at us and, Lord, not see that we are great and we are moral, but, Lord, that they will see you, that they will see Jesus Christ who broke down all these barriers and that other people may desire to have that peace in their lives as well. Lord, in all these things we pray, amen.